flying, portals, and a precognitive cat. These were the ingredients Craig McCracken used to create Kid Cosmic and the Local Heroes. Stay tuned. Hey, and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about animation, storytelling, and superheroes. I'm Chris Leva. And I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And today on the show, we're talking about Craig McCracken's newest series, Kid Cosmic, on Netflix. Yes, the Netflix. Perhaps the Netflix. maybe the only place where you could get the show these days. This kind of show you mean like this specific show i think is this specific mean? show like it's we'll get into it but it's like the mix of like the tone that it's taking and the elements of plot that it has and the the form of the serialized show like there are serialized shows but it's like all these things together i think are just a netflix show i feel like that's something to, that we definitely need to unpack I, I feel like that sounds like something worth unpacking uh, in this talk about Kid Cosmic. So as we do on the show, we're going to talk about globally what this show means, um, what the show's about, and then we'll get into some nitty gritty meat and potatoes of a particular episode and talk about our expectations and then talk about where we think the show is moving, since I don't think we've either binged the whole thing yet. Is that yeah. right? I'm like partway there. Okay. I'm less partway there than you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it's, okay. I feel like if I were watching it for myself, I'd be... Uh, a lot further, but my son got mad at me when I started watching episode three without him. So <laughs> it's it's going to become one of those we have to watch it as a family kind of shows, which I'm fine with. I love having shows where the entire family gets something out of it, um, but it does slow your watching down considerably when you have to wait for two other people's schedules <laughs> to align. I mean, it is easier in this pandemic timeline that we're in. I mean, don't get me wrong. like no, We have no plans, necessarily. But there's still seeing getting three people to agree on, let's watch this same thing at I this mean, point. And on our podcast, I feel like the endorsement of like the whole household wants to watch this is one of the higher endorsements we can give to something we talk about. Exactly. So if you're curious about whether or not we endorse the show, <laughs> I think, spoilers, uh, the Leva family household is pretty into this show. And at least the moral half of the household in my household uh, is pretty into the show. Um, and my husband will tolerate it if I have it on, just because he's enough things that he's watching and playing right now. Uh, it's not from a dislike of it, more of a finding room for it in his life problem. <laughs> Yeah, people have their own priorities, you know. <laughs> I understand that. Like, for the longest time, I was trying to make sure that I completed my watch of Star vs. the Forces of Evil before I started something new. So, 
Yeah. You have to you have to complete the things that you're working on and working through uh, before you move to something next. As in life, as in animation. <laughs> <laughs> These are the deep conversations we have in our show. Uh, so as we talk about Kid Cosmic, Mackenzie, do you want to tell us a little bit globally what this show is, where it comes from? Sure. I probably know uh, less about the deep, deep origins of the show um, than perhaps your research has turned up, but it is a Craig McCracken show, uh, which I do want to talk more in depth about, but Craig McCracken is one of those um, like 90s Cartoon Network auteurs, I guess, uh, that came out of that period um, and has become... Famous on the level that, like, uh, some of the newer creators we talk about that are getting famous from, like, the Disney television perspective, um, like Frank Ingones, who also worked on this show, <laughs> has become one of the animation stars these days. Um, so Craig McCracken gave us Powerpuff Girls, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, among working on other things, and then left Cartoon Network, did Wander Over Yonder, uh, was his most recent creation before this, that saw the light of day. Um, and now he's at Netflix doing kid cosmic. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if I want to steal your thunder. Uh, Cause I don't understand all the notes you wrote down about uh, the, <laughs> the origins of the comic strip of kid cosmic. So I'll let you. Yeah. Well, he had, he created a comic. All I know is that he created a comic strip of it in 2009. And then was not going to shop it around to any networks because he didn't believe that any networks would ever put this show on TV, ever. Um, and then Frank Angonis came involved with it in 2015. And then by 2018, it was announced as a Netflix show. Hmm. Um, and it already has two more seasons on the way. And apparently, Frank Angonis helped with the first episode and and is helping more now in the next two seasons coming out. I mean, that's so interesting that he didn't think this would be put on a network because if, if he can make two shorts of something called the whoop-ass girls in the 90s, like it's turned into the Powerpuff Girls, I feel like Craig McCracken of anyone could see that anything can be made network TV worthy, per se. But or maybe, maybe he disliked that Powerpuff Girls got watered down so much. I don't know. It's possible. I'm wondering about... I, I, I think it's the not just streaming, but specifically... Because there's the streaming versus network conversation, right? And then there's the which streaming service do you go to? Hmm. And right now, Netflix is animation. Mm-hmm. Like Netflix is animation. I'm just going to say that. Like they are much like um, some people do chicken right. Netflix does animation right. So you're saying Netflix is the Popeye's chicken sandwich of animation? I don't know if I would say that, but now I really want a Popeye's <laughs> chicken sandwich for dinner this evening. Um <sighs> <laughs> I wish I had not brought up chicken. Um, but no, I, I think I think right now Netflix is a place, and I think Chris Nee has said this um, recently, 
And they just had, um, over the last couple of weeks, they had the Netflix Writers Symposium, I believe it was called, where they, you know, had people ta- talking about animation at Netflix and what that means at Netflix. And I think Christine was talking a lot about this is a place where creators can go and create the shows that they want, but also not just create their own shows, but champion other shows and other voices to come into fruition and be made. Um, and I know that she's doing that with her Laughing Wild um, shows and um, her production team. Hmm. And just trying to amplify other voices, especially in animation for younger audiences. And I think this aligns with that. This is, here's a show with a very specific style and aesthetic and voice. And I don't think it would work on network TV. It needs a streaming service in that's not afraid to do something with it and isn't going to ruin your storytelling vibe with eight months of a hiatus or something, you know, it's here, here it is. You can watch it. You can enjoy it. Yeah. I think that's a fair assessment. It's, I mean, like everything that's truly a Netflix original, like coming out of the Netflix animation studios, I can't say that I've seen anything so far. that have been like, no, I don't like this. <laughs> it's all been stuff that is good and likable and high quality. And it's more a matter of like picking and choosing like which ones resonate with me personally more because I, I don't know that anyone has the ability to watch everything Netflix animation can put out. Right. That is, that is true. And it, it's, it's such, I think back to our first season and how, hard it was to find like high quality animated shows. And now it's, we're just in this massive glut of (laughs) goodness. It's like, it's like we, we would get our one candy bar, you know, for our birthday. And it's like, Oh, this is a good show. But now we're in the freaking factory and we're in the in the inventing room and we're like, oh my gosh, like this is what can be here. I can eat the trees. I can eat the trees. And it's just magical. I mean, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Christy is not offering us to like run the factory yet. No, no, no. But I I, I just I do want a tour. I do want a tour. <laughs> That's all I want. I just and I know I'm probably not gonna be able to eat off the trees, but you know, I just I just want to know that the trees are being made. That's all. They might have chocolate trees in that office. You don't know. I guess they're not in the office, but. (laughs) (laughs) Who's in the office these days? Um, A chocolate tree sent to every employee's home. So let's, let's get back. (laughs) I I made the McKenzie sound effect of rewind. Let's, let's talk about what we have with this particular show and our expectations of, I mean, we talked a little bit about what we expect from, like, why it should be Netflix that this show lives on. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about, since it is creator-based, let's start with the expectations of what we get from a Craig McCracken show. Yeah, I, I have um, 
I guess I grew up a Craig McCracken fan. Like he worked on other things at Cartoon Network before creating and running his first show of Powerpuff Girls. And even though Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends hit like right at that, like high school going into college age for me, it was still something I was aware of and liked, even though I was doing my like, I don't like cartoons because I'm an adult now phase, um, <laughs> which was a huge mistake. Um, so I like that. And I know we've talked about it once in the show before, but um, I'm a Wander Over Yonder fan. And since I have Hulu now, I'm able to like, I'm, I'm trying to go back and find all the ones that I've missed and like make sure I've seen the whole thing. <laughs> Um, but uh, Chris, I don't know. Do you have much experience or uh, existence inside any of the Craig McCracken show fandoms before? I mean, I I did enjoy some of them. I didn't. I wasn't a stalwart watcher of Powerpuff Girls, but when I, when it was on, I would watch it. Hmm. Um, it's it was one of those. This is cool, and I'll catch it when I can. But I think it hit me, all of this hit for me uh, in, when I was in college. And so, uh, and my, in graduate school and all that. <laughs> and I had other things that I was worried about at the time. Uh, but I think now coming back to it and, and seeing the level of them, I, I've enjoyed them. I always enjoyed the energy in them. Mm. And the stylization of them and the characters. Like, I always found the characters and the style to be engaging. Yeah, I think a lot of the characters, they're... And I think we see this in Kid Cosmic also, at least the first few episodes that I've seen. The characters in his shows tend to... I I, I mean this in a very good complimentary way, be kind of 2D. Mm. Um. And that it's easy to kind of grok what they're about and like know who they are as a character. And then where the show gets interesting is that probably like once per episode, it understands what the character is and challenges one of the characters in some fundamental way. Hmm. I like that idea. I like that it is in a, in Kid Cosmic grabbing the superhero genre that a character is about one particular trait or archetype in that sense and that their powers represent that archetype hmm. and either pushes them beyond their limitations or feeds into those limitations and that that joy of the superhero genre in general and i think the as you were saying, I think the more 2D you make that essential argument allows you to stack other characters and create relationship a little bit easier. So relationship to character and also relationship to plot. Um, so that way you can then have room to grow. Yeah. And because this one is like truly a serialized show, like the characters <laughs> do retain that growth and story. Um, more so than other previous shows, which I think characters in his previous shows kind of grew before, but it was kind of like a more blurry growing because you weren't expected to see every episode in order on time. Mm. I don't know. I think a lot, 
I think a lot about the original Powerpuff Girls, which I haven't seen in years at this point, but it was such a formative part of like the late 90s for me. And so interesting. It felt like such an original superhero idea at a time when there weren't what felt like original superhero ideas. And then the 2000s came. Uh, (laughs) Right. It was just so interesting and refreshing at the time uh, for a genre that I thought had nowhere left to go. And Kid Cosmic, I think, in many ways, feels like Powerpuff Girls in some ways. Like, each character has kind of this color palette associated with them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, I mean, all the Craig McCracken shows have had, like, a huge cast of whimsical monsters that are, like, simple without being uh, stereotypical in some way. Uh, and all of character for however short-lived they are, uh, that's really interesting. There's one episode I don't want to spoil too much, but I really like. They have like a, I think it's episode four maybe. Um, there's kind of a montage of them defending the town from challenges that they have to face, um, and all of these like two minute sketch long bits have like a fully fleshed out villain character, both in design and voice and what they're going after and what the problem is that they're doing. Um, and even by the end of that, I think unexpected things were happening. And that's why I think this can only happen on Netflix and where the, the DNA of whoop ass girls comes back for me is this one that I just loved. There's this giant monster that lands in their town is about to have this huge throwdown fight with them. And then suddenly realizes he can't breathe earth's atmosphere. <laughs> and he just very quick, McCracken style, like goes from like standing up choking and like falls face first into the road dead. And the, like <laughs> the point of this two minute sketch montage for him is devoted to like, how do they hide this giant corpse of an alien? <laughs> Straight up dead. <laughs> Like this would Disney would have not allowed this to wander over yonder. (laughs) (laughs) This is is funny. I don't think it's inappropriate for kids necessarily. I think it's fine to put in a cartoon, Uh, but it's it's just not something I was expecting. (laughs) Oh gosh, that's funny. I can't wait to see. Thank you for giving me the trigger warning of character death um, for. (laughs) when I'm watching Jack's reaction to this. Um, that could either be really great or really awful, depending on the day. <laughs> they're, they're very short-lived characters. Okay. Um, yeah. It, it's not like anyone you've come to know and love. Like, you get, like, a 20-second introduction, and then they're dead. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm fine. I'll still watch, because who, who knows? Who knows? But... Uh, yeah i so with this show we talked a little bit about superheroes we talked a little bit about craig mccracken um can we talk a little bit about the style and the atmosphere and what this show is bringing like how how it is a little bit different style wise i mean we we talked a little bit story but just style and what we're getting aesthetically. Yeah, it feels very, I think how I see it is it's nostalgic for like 50s and 60s comics, but it's 
like two layers of nostalgia. Just nostalgia for the feeling of being a kid in the 90s reading 50s and 60s comics. Um, like the music for the show, the attitude of the show, um, kid himself. It's just very 90s vibe and feel. But looking at older media with like these serialized like Flash Gordon style comic books. Hmm. So you kind of get like that. That translates into the design of the town. And the characters are all very kind of comic book style and drawn that way. Um, there's narrative framing bits that are more comic booky because I don't think they're meant to be seen as like happening in the world of the show per se. Like there's a prologue at the very beginning that I think is more um, stylized because it's not from kids perspective. It's what he imagines happened. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. And I think we're, we're meant to see kid again, not obviously the whole thing as like someone who feels like he lives in this middle of nowhere town. Um, so they literally translate that by just <laughs> making the junkyard in a diner in the middle of the Mojave desert somewhere in Southern California. Um, so Is there's literally California? like nothing here. I think so. I've seen Joshua trees. So I'm assuming that it's Southern California. It feels like, it feels like New Mexico to me. Maybe it's like pan Southwest. I was going okay. off specific Specific flora since I'm now a, a desert expert with my national box pass. I see. I, I was going off of the the vintage look of the buildings and things and like, oh well that's that's New Mexico desert, like outposts <laughs> kind yeah. of things. I mean there's So somewhere there's, out there it's it's east of like Palm Springs somewhere between there and Albuquerque, but north of Phoenix, somewhere in that like giant 16-hour stretch of nothingness is where the show yeah. takes place. Flat. Not a lot of people. Which is good for, you know, the huge criticism of superheroes and things like that is that the body count. So, but it also makes it small, um, I don't want to say small stakes, but it allows for big things to happen and go unnoticed mm -hmm. because it's a place where nothing is expected to happen and the unexpected is definitely unexpected to happen. Uh, the biggest thing they talk about in the first episode um, in the diner, they said nothing happens here. Like, no, no, Carlos sat in that seat once, remember? Like, oh, what a wild day that was. Like, I, I sat over there and, wow, it was a, that was a big change for us. Yeah, I love, I mean, there's so few people in this town, yet they're all so lovable and unique. Um, there's one character at the diner, at least as far as I am, he hasn't even been named yet, but just even... No matter what's happening, he's always sitting in like the corner booth drinking coffee. No matter what dramatic thing <laughs> could possibly be going on, he just does not care. On his own, yeah. I don't know who he, I don't know who he is, but kid can jump all over his food and he doesn't even care. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just gonna drink this coffee, man. Yeah, 
I'm just here for the refills of coffee. So the other thing about the setting I want to say is it like on top of like the usefulness plot wise of it being the middle of nowhere and character wise being the middle of nowhere. It's also just, I think evocative of more fifties and sixties things. Like I think like um, Roswell nuclear testing, it's kind of Johnny quest, like of the great Ooh. empty West. So we can do all this crazy stuff here. Um, very specific to me and maybe not in the DNA of the show, but I think a lot of like, young Hellboy in the comics and now he's also like it's very middle of nowhere desert west where we can do some crazy stuff and be alone Mm. I do also like that even if it does take place now which I don't think it does because of certain other things I think it takes place at least in the 90s as you were saying like it feels like before now but a lot of those places once they were built, uh, there was no need to change them. So, mm-hmm. like, it feels like a, what are those called? You A time... Um, darn time it. bubble? Yeah, in a way. It, it's just like this unchanged thing where the only thing that's happening are the things that are there are getting older. Yeah, and weather and weathered, but nothing else is truly changing. Um, once it's established, it's there, and I think that's the interesting thing about Kid is we don't know any of his backstory. Hmm. At least when things hmm. start, we just see that he's a kid who lives in a trailer and um, has action figures and comics and records, like vinyl records, mm-hmm. and wants to be a superhero and finds five stones of power, glues those stones to um, <laughs> lug nuts, essentially, <laughs> and wears them as rings mm-hmm. and creates his own infinity gauntlet for a better... <laughs> <laughs> if for those who haven't seen the show is like this idea of five rings of power on created out of bolts or nuts, I guess they would be. Yeah. I think you get, I'm assuming that the history of kid plays out by the end of season one. <clears throat> Again, not having seen the whole thing, there was a hint in the first episode. I think that I think Joe's looking at some of the newspaper he has in the wall. And there's like a little new story that seems to be about, what happened to his parents. You see like Mm -hmm. half a headline. Um, And I think in the second or third episode, he lifts up a shirt and you can see that he has like stitches and scars on his chest. Mm. It's very subtle. I'm like, oh, okay. So something traumatic and terrible happened here. And I'm, I'm unclear on if Papa G is actually his grandfather (laughs) or just some old man that takes care of him. I feel like that's just Papa G for everybody. Like, (laughs) I I feel like he's everybody's Papa G. I don't think, I mean, it could go either way and it would be satisfying in either sense Mm -hmm. because he just seems like a caring person. And I just love how he's the character of Papa G, this older hippie-esque 
guy, work, you know, work guy, um, is both charming and kind and ridiculous and silly, but not outlandishly so. Well, he has a big heart. And both mm. in terms of the character and his design, I'm wondering how intentional it was that he just looks like an old man, human version of Wander from Wander Over Yonder. Because, <laughs> of course, Wander has like a tall green hat with like a black thing around it. And he plays banjo and he's like this orange, like little hairy creature in City of Papa G with the giant green hat with the black band around it. And this huge orange T-shirt and this giant fuzzy beard obscuring any human features. Hmm. And they have like the same just honest, pure of heartness about them where they want to help. But they're also like completely clueless sometimes. Yeah. But they seem to know more than they let on. Mm -hmm. If I had a nickel for every time I heard that, I'd have a dime. That's I think that was my favorite (laughs) line of this. In the second episode, that was just such a good payoff. Um, Mm -hmm. Just like, oh. Well done. Good job. Yeah, the first three episodes do a really good job pacing out the introduction to the world and the characters without overwhelming you. Because, like, yeah, one of the first scenes is, like, the first thing they show is five rings of power, but you don't get five people using those rings in the first episode. Mm. Yeah, you get a lot of it builds the story in such an interesting way because you don't know what all of the rings do. And he's wearing all five of them and he's running around the diner and trying to show everyone what's going on. And Joe is really interested in helping him because he's bringing entertainment to her day. Um, And then he does his tests, which Jack loved the superhero testing, you know, because you have to have that scene, like, how does this work? And he decides to go one ring at a time and figures out what the what the green ring does. And then we get him and his relationship with Joe, and that's where we are. And mm-hmm. it, you get to have a whole episode based on that. And then we add one more. We add Rosa, you know, in, in the second episode. And then third episode, we start building two at, two at once, essentially. But... Um, I haven't seen the whole thing of episode two because Jack got mad that I was watching it without him. So I had to stop. I had to stop. Well, then I, I won't spoil it too much. I think all... I'd have to watch again, but I think all five heroes are in the very first episode, but um, they just get little little bits. Like, Rosa's in the first episode is just like, get out of the road, little girl, bye. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. Can I spoil one thing for you just because I think that's worth noting in this podcast? Okay, yes. The fifth hero, who I adore. Um, At the end of episode two, you just get like a, what about the fifth ring? He's like, I put it where no one will find it. And you see that he's attached the ring to the collar of the cat. (laughs) So tuna sandwich is the fifth hero. (laughs) Just this cat at the diner. So you have Kid, Joe, Rosa, Papa G, and Tuna Sandwich the Cat. Yeah. Like, each of these on their own are 
individuals you would not expect to not want to have superpowers. Especially a, a three-year-old, you yeah. know, a four-year-old toddler. Um, Which they don't just pretend that that's okay. I think you'll, <laughs> you'll be pleased when they get to that point. Yeah, the second episode, I really enjoyed how they worked with that. And they're just trying to teach her the right way to do things. But she's, I mean, and for all intents and purposes, it's taking, like, what is the expectation of this particular power? And who could we give it to? And what are they looking for? So, like, of course, Joe, who in the first episode is looking for a way out of the town, a way to go somewhere else, she becomes Portal Girl, uh, which is hard to say. It is hard to say Portal Girl. <laughs> that is a difficult thing to say. But um, she is with the ability to go wherever she can imagine. And I, I do love that that is just built in so small and subtly, but also def definingly. Mm-hmm. She can't go anywhere, so how do we keep her here? Mm -hmm. That's her character challenge. Yeah, I'm interested to see how that plays out for everybody. Um, I think it's so obvious and so fitting that Kid chooses like this flying ring as his thing. Um, and you just see more and more how useless that power is. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's kind of iconic. You're like, yeah, the flying water that he's... It's so much less than all the other ones. <laughs> right. Because it's not even strength because mm -hmm. he's flying and he gets worn out, especially in that second episode. You know, he's it's it's just it's just flight. <laughs> it's just flying. There's nothing special. Um, and he's well, I, I do enjoy the the villain, you know, stuck Chuck that we get. <laughs> yes. Um, and the building, I'm, I'm wondering where he's going. And what I what I enjoy is, how do I want to put this about these particular characters? Because it's not quite banter. You know, it's not like a bantery show. But I do like the interactions that they all have with each other. Hmm. It feels grounded, yet extreme and elevated. But also, it's all defined on character, and it's not leading into, oh, what is it? It's just, it's not easy answers or the easy expected way of these characters interacting. Like, yeah, they trap the villain in the trailer, and he tries to kill them still. He tries to shoot them, and they have to find their own special way of defeating him but they don't take his gun, you know, like there's, it's just some interesting stuff that goes on and they say sometimes the obvious thing and he calls into question what they've just done. And it just, it's really satisfying. And I don't know how to explain these character interactions and the way that they operate. They're just satisfying acting and behaving directly out of character, not, not, not out of character, but I mean, from their character. It evolved, yeah. yeah. I mean, spoilers for my favorite thing. I think Stuck Chuck is my favorite thing. Just that whole 
dynamic because when you have a protagonist like Kid who's just so enthusiastic and ready to dedicate his world to what he thinks being a superhero should be like, um, he's just so tunnel visioned in on that, which is interesting on its own. But like, how do you create character development out of that? What are his challenges? He doesn't have any negative internal monologue. So what you do is you make that external and you have an evil Ooh. space alien that lives in his trailer <laughs> that tells him how bad everything he is. Which is true. I mean, that's the that's the age old thing. Like, what is the what is the flip side to the coin of the hero is somebody who would challenge the hero's best assets, which is optimism and hope for something better. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that Kid is perfect in that because he doesn't want Rosa to touch his stuff and you know get a ring and everything, but. You're just a little kid. Well, guess what, kid? Um, hate to break it to you, but your name is Kid. Like you, <laughs> you, you are just a kid, and you are not any better at this than anybody else. Yeah, Stuck Chuck is like the inverse version of a team mentor. Mm. You don't have like this guiding like parental lights like helping them out you just have like a jerk older brother (laughs) who's mentoring the team and maybe getting them to the right place where they need to go because i mean that's what the villain's supposed to do is right to get the hero to become who they need to become yeah and certainly he's not doing it intentionally in the world of the show but (laughs) Which is the, yeah, I mean, a villain never means for the hero to get good at what they want. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. That's never the villain's intention to be like, well, let me, let me make you more formidable. <laughs> so with that, with that line of thinking, where do we see this show going as folks who haven't watched this whole show? Well, it is serialized. It is Netflix. And I think something I mentioned a bit before we started recording, um, we've talked before about the the writer emergency pack um, mm. that John August has put out into the world. Just John August? Am I crediting all the right people? Yeah, John, it's John August. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, he, he used a lot of uh, different people and artists to create the writer emergency pack. But there's one card in that pack to like make you think about writing and like what you're doing with your story that I return to a lot. And it's what happens if your character gets what they want now, instead of like having a plot in mind and wondering how to keep the plot dragging along. Like what happens if you shorten that up and give the character what they want. And I think kid cosmic as a show continues to deliver that episode after episode you end an episode thinking like, okay, this is the plot of the show now. And then the next episode kind of addresses that. If that makes sense. I think so. It keeps, I'm only halfway through, but it keeps building into new directions that I wasn't expecting like two episodes prior. Mm. And I think some of that is the Netflix brand of, constantly either giving you a type A cliffhanger 
where the story is unresolved or giving you a type B cliffhanger where you resolve the story and start a new adventure. Mm -hmm. And I think what I like about Kid Cosmic so far, I'm only two episodes in, well, two and a quarter until Jack stopped me. Um, what What I enjoy about it is that it's relying on type B cliffhangers instead of type A cliffhangers. So it solves the story in this episode and says, here's what's next. So that way you can keep watching. I feel like that's more satisfying because if I stop watching, which I won't stop watching, but if I stopped watching, (laughs) I think I would be like, oh, cool. It's just something that continues. It's a continuing story as opposed to an unsatisfying well, I need to figure out what happens next because the story just stopped. Yeah, and I think that there are some elements, some type B moments that start to get more complex and through-liney, but it's still, each episode stands on its own as a whole complete plot, and you don't need the type B part. Mm. Yeah, the type B is like the next on. Yeah, it's just connecting it to the rest of the episodes in the season. Mm-hmm. It's very, I never realized this until just now. I just had this realization. It's why I enjoyed Quantum Leap so much in the 90s, <laughs> because it was constant type B cliffhangers. We fixed it. Now you leap in and now you're, oh, uh-oh, you, now you're a circus performer on a trapeze. What you going to do now? Guess we'll find out next week. Is that how that show worked? I don't think I ever saw those in order. I didn't realize that the end like led into the next one. Oh, directly. Yeah, they did. <laughs> they did directly. <sighs> next on Quantum Leap Circus. Okay. Yeah. I, now, that I was, feel like that I need was to see gonna, the Quantum Leap. Yeah, that was going to be my pandemic thing was re-watching Quantum Leap. And now I haven't, but I've completed a lot of animated series that I wanted to complete. So... <laughs> Still well, winning? Yeah, when you run out of TV, Quantum Leap will be there. Yes. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, I have, a year in, I'm realizing that some shows that I want to rewatch it actually don't want to rewatch the whole thing. I just want to like pick and choose. So I'll like watch like three episodes of season one of Stargate SG One and then like move on to the next season. Hmm. Hmm. Like I like it, but do I need to commit to ten seasons of an hour long show that had twenty two episodes a season? Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. But I am committed to watching the rest of Kid Cosmic with my family. What up? Look, that was a good transition, right? That was a good, yeah. like, bring it like. back to segue. I'm proud of you. Thank you. I, Yeah, my whole family enjoyed it. Um, my, I watched it with my son because I said, look, I have to watch this. So you could either watch it with me or go watch something on your iPad. But on this TV, it's going to be this show called Kid Kid Cosmic, and I'd rather you watch it with me because it Mm -hmm. would be fun. And we watched it, and he was was not quite interested at first. And then at the introduction of Kid, he bought all in. So he's eight now, and he just bought in totally. The moment Kid showed up and... Everything he did, he was laughing almost nonstop throughout the whole first episode. And he just loved the the interactions with Joe and everything, um, the testing, 
um, he he laughed all through the second episode too of especially when Rosa I won't ruin it but when she has her big moment with stuck Chuck he was he he was cracking up that whole time and cheering and jumping up and down and excited about that so we we're we're in on this adventure and I look forward to watching <laughs> episode 3 later this evening while eating a Popeye's chicken sandwich, possibly. <laughs> and that's what we call a runner. <laughs> what about so, you? Like you had, did you have anything else you wanted to share about this show? No, I think I spoiled my favorite thing already. There's, there's so many good one lines to choose from that. I, I didn't choose one. I just stuck Chuck, just that whole dynamic. I think is really well pulled off. It's, not an evil somewhere in the town or the mountains around the town lurking. It's literally in kid's bedroom, like a negative voice in his head. It's just there. Mm. Um, yeah. Did you have a favorite thing? I think my favorite thing is the thing that made Jack laugh so much, but it was also awful, <laughs> was <laughs> where kid was like, maybe it needs more power. So he hooks up a car battery. <laughs> <laughs> connected to the to the rock on his hand it's connected to his hand by metal and zaps himself and he gets knocked out for hours for hours and he's laying on the ground and he's just like electrocuting himself and jack is cracking up that this kid is on the ground in this desert alone unsupervised filming his own possible death and and then he wakes up like hours later and jack just keeps laughing at everything that's going on like oh it's like oh my gosh what is happening like that I, I could not believe that that was part of the show like yeah that's a very like simpson style joke it's it's not just like a brush off like you you can try this at home kids and shock yourself it's like huh, this is funny that's why you shouldn't try it at home yeah, look, time is passing. Like, it's getting dark outside. Like, time has passed. He's, he's still on the ground. Whew. Yeah. The, oh, my gosh. That. You'll be surprised with what the show does. It uh, takes jokes to levels you didn't think you'd see in a show like this. <laughs> Which is good. I want to be surprised. I mean... To be honest, to have it be 2021 and to be surprised by a superhero genre-based show, that would be... How how lucky are we to have lived through a decade of Marvel movies and DC movies and be like, oh, well, here's some interesting new things that we can do with superheroes. Look, I don't know about you, but I didn't live through a decade of DC movies and I stand by oh, that choice. Okay. I see. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> Going to get some negative comments on our Twitter for that one. Sorry, fans. Like, wow, that's that's big. So so you're not going to like Snyder cut it next month, huh? I'm going to Snyder cut that out of my life. Goodbye. <laughs> okay, well. Should we talk homework time? <laughs> Let's talk homework time. For your homework, 
we are going to do one of our breakdown episodes where we get really in depth on the construction of one particular episode of something that we enjoy. So for next time, we invite you, I guess we're going all Netflix for a little while. We invite you to watch Hilda on Netflix, specifically season two, episode eight, The 50 Year Night, also known as chapter eight. As always, thank you to our engineer, Nigel Cotino, and to Jacob Reed and the Champagne Drops for our theme music. You can find us on Twitter at WG Animated. Leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Help people find us. If you enjoy the show, let us know. We want to know. Are there shows that you want us to talk about, topics that you want us to explore? We are not above listening to our tens of fans and giving them what they want. We're here for you. Also, you can find show notes and links to things that we found interesting about this show on our Podbean, writersgetanimated.podbean.com. We should have chosen like a Dr. Fang and the gang vinyl record to like play us out, a la end credits of Kid Cosmic style. We should have. I suppose there's next time. I don't know what that means, but good night, everybody. (laughs) 